Hi there, this is Ricky Faulkner from Judas Priest, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hey, what's up, people? Jason Newstead here. You're checking out Iron City Rocks. What's up, everybody? This is Sully Erna, and you are tuned into Iron City Rock. Hello and welcome to episode 304 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 304 is all metal, though. We've got joining us not one, but both guitarists of the band Judas Priest. We've got Richie Faulkner and Glenn Tipton joining us to talk about the new live album, Battle Cry. Great DVD, Blu-ray, and CD packages available. So... I'm going to play you a little track from Battlecry. This is Metal Gods, and then we're going to talk to Glenn Tipton. You obviously you're releasing Battle Cry later on this week. Actually, um, when you're waiting to go on stage, do you still get the butterflies? Is you know you're waiting for the curtain to drop? Not not particularly. Not. I mean, you, you worry really. I mean, Priest put on a big production, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. You know, on a big production, you, you really learn quickly where not to be at a particular point in time or a particular point in a song. Because there's mot- motorbikes flying across the stage and lighting gantries moving around and flames and explosions so um, I don't really 
get get nervous. If I do, it's a nervous excitement, which I think is adrenaline kicking in. And you know, when you go out there and you hear the roar of the crowd, uh, it's natural to feel, I think, that adrenaline rush because it makes you perform better and uh, <coughs> make it makes you look forward to walking on that stage and performing. Absolutely. Now, um, with this festival such as Vakin, do you get an opportunity to do a sound check, or does that add any complexity doing a show like that? We know, and we don't like sound checking. You know, we we've got a really good crew, a reliable crew, who know what sort of sounds we want, know the sound of our instruments, and they mm-hmm. set it all up, and we turn up normally about an hour and a half before the show, and and warm up, and then walk on stage. I mean, we're a band that really feeds off an audience, so to us, uh, sound checks are boring, really, but they have to be done, and in the initial stages of a tour, to make sure the sound quality is good for the audience, of course we do them, but if we, you know, later on down the road when we're well-oiled, we don't really enjoy sound checking, we like to play to people. Right. Now, I noticed you guys opened this particular set with uh, Dragonaut, a new track, a relatively new track from Redeemer of Souls. Do you like leading off with a new track when you're doing you know, doing a tour behind an album it's because of the I adrenaline we, that everyone's I, I think I think it's a, a sign of confidence in the album that we do do that, you know, that we choose to use a brand new song that people haven't heard us play live before as the opening number, and it, it just illustrates the, the confidence we've got and how proud we are of Redeemer of Souls as an album. Does it, is it make it a little more interesting for you as a player? I mean, some of these songs you've been playing for the better part of 40 years, is it particularly more enjoyable to you to play some of the new material just to get out of the monotony of some of those songs? It, it is, um, and particularly this time around with uh, Halls of Valhalla and Dragonauts and and, and we march to the down. We played. We, we played about four or five songs off the new album, which is a lot, really. Often, often, you know, when you go out to play on tour, the kids want to hear their old favourites, and they may not be that familiar with the new stuff at that point in time. But um, everybody often asks us this question: You know, do you ever get fed up of playing another thing coming, or living after midnight, or hellbent for leather? And the fact is that the kids want to hear it and as soon as you strike up in front of an audience it's almost like the first time you've ever played it you know it's so enjoyable and the audience sing along and uh, our concerts are a union with Jews, Priest and the audience it's not <coughs> often them you know it's the whole thing it's one event so when we play numbers that are you know sing alongable uh, it's it's so the atmosphere on stage is so electrifying that uh, you never get fed up with these songs now. Yeah, I noticed in particular uh, when you started uh, living after midnight, you know you couldn't hide the smile on your face. Is that a particular highlight in the show for you? Yeah, um, I think screaming for vengeance uh, was was good to play for the first time in the last tour. Um, but songs like Living After Midnight are still enjoyable. Uh, and I think when you've been around as long as Priest and you've got so many classic songs, it's so difficult, really, to choose the ones to play. But we, you'd think we'd, be, get, we'd get fed up of songs that we've played like Metal Gods for so many years, but it's just, um, it just feels right on the night, you know, and the audience just ignite the band. We feed up yeah. the audience. 
Now, this particular, uh, in speaking to Richie earlier, he mentioned that um, you guys, well, film, Bakken films all the headliners, and this wasn't really intended to be a DVD release. Um, being that you guys have been dealing with video screens now and tours for, you know, however many years, is it different for you guys to know the cameras are on you, or is it, do you just kind of tune all that out at this point in your career? I think it was... <coughs> Excuse my coughing, John. I've got a bad cough. Um, I think everybody's honest. They're always a little bit nervous of um, of, of a film that's uh, sorry of a show that's being filmed. And uh, you know, particularly at my age, I don't really want to be filmed anymore. <laughs> you know, I used to want to be in the in the frame. You know, and I, now I want to be out of the frame. Let Richie do it. He's, he's a good-looking guitar player. You know. Huh. Um, so uh, I'm 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 a little yeah I'm a little more hesitant yeah I would say I'm a little little less confident when it's being filmed because you you know you, you think oh we're being recorded and filmed tonight we've got to play no perfect when that right. creeps into a, a band's head like Priest you know because we're all over the place we're all over the stage um, and if we, if you stand there in one place and play like Harry Clapton you can play. No, perfect, but we don't. You know, we're we're all over right. the place, and anything can happen at a pre-priest concert. So there's a there's a little bit of a stress, I suppose, and um, when we're being filmed. But I think you tend to forget that after the second or third number, and then I even forget the cameras are there sometimes. So you know, it's it's not too bad. Do you do you find as you know you you've come a long way in this industry in in the last. 15 years or so, the YouTube generation is really coming. Does, does that ever creep into your mind to get kind of disgusted with people holding up phones and videoing you even, you know, when you're not planning on being filmed? Well, that, that's the other thing, you know, you, 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 we used to look for good photographs of ourselves and that's what used to be released all over the internet now is thousands of pictures of the band looking your best or your worst, there's nothing you can do about it, you have to accept it and I think it's good in a way because it's it's a bonfire of the vanities, you know. Just get up there and play the music, forget the visuals. Really, I mean, we put a good production on, but other than that, it's the songs that count. So I think um, I think you've you've always got to turn these things around. You know, everybody said the internet's a bad thing, downloading, but it's there. You've got to go with it. You can't whinge and whine about it. At least it promotes good live acts. You know, people yeah. need to go out and play and show what they can do. So. Um, you just got to go with it. Now, do you, uh, I noticed, you know, you guys have put on a very um, extensive video production on this show. Do you, does the band get involved in that, or do you tend to let, you know, the creative directors and things like that worry about well, that? Well, we've got a lot of um, faith in a lighting design guy now, Tom Horton, uh, and he knows how we think, so he can do a lot of the basic work, but when it comes down to the fine detail and the final analysis, we do get involved, yes. And we also get involved in the initial stages, to see what direction we want to go in on a production level, it's very difficult to come up with new ideas, you know, time after time. But that's what we try and do. We try and give the kids, you know, they pay a lot of money for the tickets. They want a good show, and we try right. and do that for them. So we do get involved, yeah. Yeah, especially it seems like that's always been a kind of a, a, a thing in, in heavy metal. You know, Maiden puts on a great production. You guys put on a great production. Metallica, etc. So it's kind of hard, you know, after all these tours you've done, to kind of outdo yourself in that regard. But the, sh you know, the show looked fantastic, um, so it's commendable. Um, 
one other question. We've I got noticed. so many songs, John, that we yeah. it's often crossed our mind to go back to the basics. You know, no frills mm. per just hundred watt marshals, or in my case, angles, um, and just play the songs. You know, because the songs are the legacy. Um, but <coughs> well, <laughs> on paper that sounds like a good idea because we've got. 18 albums and 40 years of songs to choose from, the kids still with Priest want to see some sort of production. So yeah. um, it's, it's, it's tricky, really, that decision. Yeah, and there's always the, the person in the audience who hasn't seen the band before. You know, for me, I would love to see you guys. You know, it would be a trip to see you guys come out in the outfits, you know, that you wore on the first album, you know, with the bell bottoms and things like that. But that's taking away from the band who hasn't seen, you know, Rob on the, on the motorcycle with Hellbent. So you want us to go out on stage in bell-bottoms, John? Hey, it would be an interesting thing. If, if, if anybody could pull it off, I think you guys could do it. Um, so if I can wear leather trousers at my age, I could pull bell-bottoms off. Absolutely, absolutely. The distance when you're doing these festivals, I, I noticed particularly at Bakken, you know, there's a pretty good distance between you and the audience. Does, does that make it a little more foreign? you than, than, you know, when you're doing maybe a smaller venue and they're right up against the stage. Do you have a preference? Uh, preference to what? To, to that barrier between the fans, the distance between, you know, because of the fact that you guys have camera crews and things like that in between you and the stage. For the fans you, mean, the you, you mean like at festivals there's a distance between the stage and the kids, whereas, you know, in the exactly. smaller venues we, 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 we're more one-on-one. Is that what you mean? Exactly, yes. Yeah, it doesn't. It really doesn't bother us. We 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 get a if the, if it's a festival on a big occasion, you know, everything's exaggerated. You usually, usually got the screens on the side of the stage, which bring you to the audience or take you to the audience visually, and they can sp- see you in real life on stage anyway. But I have to say that occasionally on warm-up gigs or a fill-in gig or for whatever reason, if we do a smaller venue, I mean they're not that small, but they're they are smaller, and the audience are right there with with you. I love that. I love mm-hmm. to communicate with the audience. I love to get eye contact with them. I love to sing along with them and 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 get to know them for that short moment of time that we're on stage. You know, and I right. love that contact. It's a, it's a very important thing for me. Yeah, that's a, that's probably hard to do with eighty five thousand people. But then again, that's got to have an energy unto itself. Yeah, well, on those occasions, obviously, you know, it's it's not so intimate the 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 connection between you and the audience. But you can still pick a few fanatics out, you know, <laughs> and it's um it's still enjoyable. Yeah, it's, it came off great on the DVD. I want to congratulate you guys on that and. We look forward to uh, whatever you guys go and go away and cook up for us next. But uh, it's, it's been a thrill uh, so far with you, this place. I want to thank you so much for your time. Thank you, John. I'm sorry it's a, a bit of a bad connection. I'm sorry I'm coughing, but oh no, that's <laughs> the weather. No problem at all. We hope you feel better, and uh, thank you so much for the time. Okay, I enjoyed talking to you. All right, a big thank you to Glenn Tipton. Uh, quite a thrill to talk to him. A big Judas Priest fan. Really my whole life, so it was really enjoyable to talk to him uh, on the eve of what was the releasing of the Battle Cry album. I uh, want to let you know these interviews both were uh, kind of combined into one interview I did for GuitarWorld.com. So if you'd like to read the transcript of that, it's available on GuitarWorld.com. Just search for Judas Priest. Uh, so without further ado, let's play another little taste off of Battle Cry. 
This starts to Richie Faulkner. If you need an introduction to this song, time to stop listening. British Steel! Breaking the what? Breaking the what? Breaking the what? Let's go break that law right now! How are you doing, man? I'm very well. Uh, thank you. I think I'm doing wonderful as well. I um, want to just chat with you briefly about Battlecry, obviously. Um, so this is was this your second show at Bakken? Uh, actually, it's my fourth show. Oh, okay. Yeah, the first oh. time I was um, at Wacken was uh, with Zodiac Mime Open the Love Reaction. I don't know if you remember oh. those, but they were yeah. they were a band yeah. back in back in the eighties. The guys are good friends of mine, so I was actually teching for Cobalt, the guitar player, and uh, uh-huh. they run out of songs, and they had an hour set, they had half an hour to go, and so I came on stage with a guitar plugged in, and we played a half an hour rendition of Thin Lizzy's The Rocker, which was oh, you know, awesome. great fun. Yeah, the yeah. second time was with Lauren Harris, and then I've done it twice now with Priest, one in 2011, okay. and uh, one in 2015, so uh, okay. I'm a Becoming a, a, a Wacken veteran, as they say. Yeah, exactly. I know the the first time, if, I, if my math was correct, you were still kind of new with Priest at the time. Um, w- with a show like this, and especially doing a, a DVD shoot that night, um, but let me ask you this. When you went into that night, were you guys planning to do a DVD on this, or was just the footage dictated that it should be released? Um, we were aware that it was being filmed. Um, we weren't aware obviously, of how the performance was going to turn out or what the energy was going to be like or whether there was going to be technical difficulties on that night. We, obviously, we never know. Um, sure. But we, we're aware, you know, Wack and Film, most of the headliners, if not most of the bands that play on the on the weekend. Um, and when the footage became available and we checked out the footage, we thought it was a no-brainer. You know, we, we saw okay. the production, we saw the crowd, we saw the energy, and we thought this would be a great thing to... To put out, and even though Wacken is a, one of the biggest festivals in in Europe, obviously there are people around the world that can't get there, or they live in a different country, or whatever it may be. So we thought it was a great performance to to take and give to Tom Allen to to mix properly, and then to mm. to put out to the fans around the world. We thought it was a great opportunity to do that. So take take us through the mindset when you're standing, you know, backstage. The lights are darkening. You know, the intro music comes on. You guys are about to launch into Dragonaut. What is that energy like? What is that feeling? Are you, you guy who gets kind of nervous? You're pretty calm before the show. What is your mindset at that point? It's a great question. Um, 
I've always been fairly calm. Obviously, you're excited. You know, there's a there's a feeling of excitement. Uh, nerves isn't really. It's never been my thing, really. It's uh, it's always been focused on the task in hand, if you know what I mean. But there's definitely an excitement of. You never know what what's going to happen. You never know what the crowd's going to be like. You never know what the energy's going to be like. So there's that sort of uncertain excitement. And I, I will tell you, every night when that intro tape comes on and we're standing behind the curtain, um, it, it is an exciting thing. You can hear the crowd on the other side, and especially Wacken. There's 85,000 people out there. And we, yeah. we got there uh, fairly late in the evening. We had press to do. We had interviews to do. Um, and so we got to the festival, done all the press, got leathered up, you know, went backstage, went up to the back of the space. So we hadn't seen the crowd at this point. But you right. can hear 85,000 metal maniacs, you know. And when that right. curtain drops, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it now talking to you. It's just the most overwhelming rush of energy and like a, like just like a big reuniting of a family, you know what I mean? It sounds kind of right. kind of, kind of airy-fairy, kind of hippie type stuff, but it definitely there's a... There's a definitely an emotional connection that goes over when that curtain drops. So it's, it's a phenomenal thing, and always has been since I joined the band. Yeah. Now, with obviously with rehearsals and you know the bulk of the set list or, or songs Priest has to play and, and have been playing is the Epitaph tour. You guys played so many songs. Are the songs kind of uh, to the point where you don't have to think about them? You know, what key is the, the solo in, or you, you still have to kind of think it out when you're playing the stuff? Or are you kind of on autopilot? Uh, um. It's a good question again. I mean, I mean, as far as set list, we always give a lot of thought to what we're going to present uh, mm-hmm. song-wise. You know, as you said, there were a lot of songs covered in the Epitaph tour. We wanted to approach some songs that the band hadn't played for a long time with uh, with uh, the Redeemer of Souls tour. And also we, we swapped it out during the different legs of the tour. You know, we put in Screaming for Vengeance, Desert Plains, right. uh, The Rage... We put in uh, March of the Damned and Love Bites in some legs of the tour. So from that point of view, we definitely give a lot of consideration. And sometimes it's not an easy one. You know, you put in, if you put in songs in, you have to take someone's favorite out, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so absolutely. that's always a, a, a conscious decision-making process. But as far as personally, um, it's always a conscious thing to do your best and focus on the song and the performance and the fans and the band. And I think, you know, they've definitely been doing it long enough now to do that but I'm definitely I've been doing it long enough now to kind of it it becomes part of you as a player you're listening you're interacting you're performing you're focusing and you're just kind of dedicated to giving a million percent of a performance in all those areas and uh, you know so it's definitely autopilot in a sense because it's a part of who you are as a musician and a performer and what have you but you know in another sense you're kind of focused on what you're doing and what you're putting across. You don't want to play a bum boat. You want to, especially in my position, yeah. replacing someone five years ago was, you know, you, you've got to respect the legacy that went before you, but also, yes. you know, continue and maybe build your own part of the legacy as, as best you can. So it's definitely on different levels of conscious thing. Yeah, and speaking of your part of the legacy, um, the Redeemer of Souls tour obviously was the first chance you had to perform material that you were involved in the creation. Um, can you take us through how, how much fun that is to, you know, to have a song that you're involved with added to the preset list? It's incredible. It's, it's um, I mean, just playing on the Epitaph tour, just on the, on the live performance scenario, just playing mm-hmm. those great songs was a, was a joy and an honor to be a part of. And then, as you said, actually creating songs in a studio and then going out and playing those live, it's a different kind of connection. 
you know, I grew up with songs like Painkiller, Living Off the Midnight and Desert Plains, but so you have a connection to those songs as right. a fan. And now um, with the new songs, obviously, there's a different type of connection. I was there with some of those riffs were being conceived and I might have come up with an idea in my living room or a kitchen or on the road somewhere. And to see that go from the initial seed of an idea into the studio, into the live format when Metal Maniacs are actually all around the world singing back to you riffs and solos, guitar solos sometimes that you've yeah. created is an incredible thrill. So uh, it, it was a joy to be a part of and hopefully that will happen again. Now, one of the things I noticed with, with this show, and obviously with filming it in this huge festival, is there's pretty good distance between you and the crowd. Does that kind of take away things, or, or are you kind of able to transcend that, you know, that barrier? Um, it's a different dynamic for sure. I mean, if you're playing, you know, we played some theaters in the states, you know, three, four thousand capacity, and they're right on top of you. You know, uh, right. you can you can feel the heat from the audience. You can hear the crowd singing, you can hear them screaming or shouting or whatever they do. Right. And definitely on the, in the bigger venues, there is more of a disconnect. Uh, but at the same time, you've got the enormity of the situation. You've got the sound of the band and the audience in a massive, great arena, or whether it's a, an open venue or whatever it may be. So there's different dynamics which add to the magic of both scenarios. Um, there is definitely a disconnect, but, you know, luckily... You know, we can work with that. We have screens, we have big screens, and fans can obviously see us with their eyes right. looking at us, but obviously on the screens as well, they can see close-ups and fingers moving and all that sort of stuff. So, um, But it's a good question. There definitely is a different dynamic to both, but they're equally magical in, in, the, in both scenarios. Now, one of the things I've noticed about you as a performer, seeing you live and on the, on the different DVDs and, and such, is that you you tend to kind of interact with, audience members, a lot of pointing and things like that. Do you, as you're on stage, obviously 85,000 people is just a sea of humanity, but do you try to pick out certain individuals to, to get reactions and to get your performance on, or are you just kind of randomly picking people out? Um, a bit of both, really. You know, if someone if someone's really into it, uh, you know, you, you kind of get drawn to that, you know, and you kind of interact with them and you share a moment. And then other people, they might be a bit introverted, and sometimes you can pull them out of their shell, you know. Uh, it just depends. But I, I always remember being out on tour with Iron Maiden back in the day, almost 10 years ago now, with uh, Steve's, Steve Harris's daughter, Lauren. We yeah. opened up for Maiden on the, um, on the uh, what was it called? The, I can't remember the, 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 the name of the tour we did, but it was when they did the first version of the, the plane around the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking up every night at Steve Harris, interacting and singing the words and picking out mm-hmm. people and looking at them and sharing that interaction was something that really stayed with me, really, and something that you can't recreate on YouTube or from right. a download or from a video. You can't recreate that interaction. It was a very potent interaction to me, and it stayed with me. So mm-hmm. I think I don't have to think too much about it. It's just part of you know what resonates with me. So the curtain comes down, and you go out, and I know what it feels like to have that interaction with the guy on stage, and he makes right. it special and the value of that. So I just kind of think it just comes into that that kind of um, scenario where you're out there interacting the way that you've been interacted with in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one of the things I noticed on the, on the show, you've you've been at least you know in your time in Priest a very Gibson oriented man, but you you have a flying V that you play on that show that's got kind of a different headstock to it, sort of a um, horn shaped one. Is that a Gibson or is it something you had custom made? 
it's something I custom made. It was uh, I actually um, approached a guy called Andy Beach who made guitars for Zach Wilde back mm-hmm. on the uh, the No More Tours tour, and um, we wanted to come up with a V that would uh, you know I, I wanted a V with a Floyd Rose. You know Gibson made me a V with a Floyd Rose, but you can't actually go and buy it. Uh, a Gibson Flying V with a Floyd Rose off the site. You know, they don't make them. So uh, I approached Gibson, um, and I didn't hear a lot back. So I, we had a tour coming up, and I needed the, the tool that I needed. So I approached Andy, and I said, this is what I need. And, and basically, we backed, backed and forth with a few ideas, and we wanted a classic guitar, but with modern appointments, like the Floyd Rose, like the EMG 5766 combo, that sort of thing. Les Paul weight as well. It's Les Paul weight and thickness. I'm used to a Les Paul, really, um, mm-hmm. growing up primarily. So I wanted it something that was substantial in the weight department, something that was big and heavy. And I, I like the interaction with the heavy instrument. You know, it makes you throw it around like a like a like a like a pig. You know, if you're wrestling right. a pig, you have to kind of wrestle around with it to make it squeal. You know, I like that interaction. So, and that's how we approached it. And um, we're actually still to and throwing with prototypes. We actually got approached by Gibson and uh, we got handed a cease and desist because I, I guess Gibson felt it was too much of a threat, you know. Sure. But, um, so we're working on different prototypes, different body shapes to kind of come up with something. Um, and mm-hmm. that was basically what that was. It was something we came up with and we made two of them. Uh, and they were great. Uh, again, Gibson didn't uh, like the idea, so we had to stop making, or we had to stop selling them or advertising them. So, uh, right. But, uh, you know, we're coming up with different designs in the meantime. And uh, so there might be more custom making. I'm actually trying one out in the studio. Andy's making one for me at the moment, which I'm going to try out in the studio next month and mm-hmm. uh, and go from there, really. So, uh, yeah, that, we, we called it the Blackwing. Um, Blackwing. Awesome. Yeah. It's now, basically, Blackwing. Go on, sorry. No, that's okay. I was curious. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you go to a guitar store and you pick up a, a guitar, an expensive guitar, and, they, you know, they get real nervous if you have a buckle or a zipper. You're out there every night in, you know, all kinds of metal in your equipment. Is, is that hell on the backs of your guitars? It is, really. Um, I don't see it as a problem. It's, it's mm-hmm. just aesthetic, you know. Um, it's one of those things you give yourself to the performance. And, you know, right. as you said, I'm covered in leather and studs, and they do take a certain punishment, you know. But you can always mm-hmm. paint it over. or sure. The main thing is the performance of the tool and... You know, the aesthetic to some degree, but uh, that's not the main thing. So they do suffer, and that's the best way I think of relicking stuff. Give, give me your, give me your instrument. I'll take it out for a couple of months, and you'll get it back, and it's going to look like a fifty-year-old instrument. You exactly. Know, because I, yeah. I do use them. But, yeah, it's uh, funny when you see people yeah. pay all that money for relic versions of guitars. Yeah, that's. Um, yeah, man, it's, Richie, it's the same with cars. You know, sometimes you can get uh, relic parts of vehicles. You know, if you've got a Fender or. Uh, whatever it might be, they relic them so they look like uh, distressed pieces. It's just what people like. But um, so yeah, it's, it's funny how the market's gone like that. Are you um, rig wise? Do you use like a, a fractal type emulation, or do you have amps kind of under the drum risers or off stage, or what do you guys use? Yeah, we, we were full blown. Uh, you know, Marshall uh, not Marshall stacks. They're Engel stacks. You know, but the four by twelve stacks behind the behind the screens we've got uh, the amplifier angle heads off to the side of the stage and they're, they're cranked man um, mm. so we do it we do it the the old school way if you want and my philosophy is if you I mean I respect the guys that use fractal and modeling amps and campers and whatever you want to call it but I think if you've got the means or the 
if you can use the real mm-hmm. stuff, I don't see it. I think that's the way you should, that's what you should do. You know, sometimes there are restrictions on shipping or uh, stage uh, space or whatever, so people cut down where they can. I think that's totally fine. But, you know, with Priest, we've got a big stage, we, we ship our stuff, we truck our stuff, and if, you know, we've got room for the real deal, I think we should use the real deal. So that's what we use, and they're on they're on 11, man, you know what I mean, especially over the yeah. side. Yeah, I noticed you guys, you still use uh, wedges. Uh, do you, do any of you use in-ear monitors, or, or do you just prefer the old-school wedge for your own sound? Um, we uh, Rob, Scott, and Ian use in-ear monitors. Um, oh. Me and Glenn use front wedges. I think it's just, I mean, I think we'd both be up for trying them, but I think after you've done something that way for 40 years, in Glenn's case, if right. it works, it, you know, I think any sort of change now in the career might be a bit alien. I don't know. I'm, I'm right. speculating, but I can imagine that would be the case. And, you know, sometimes you get used to having that wherever you go, you know, if you've got side wedges, you know, if you go and stand out on the side, what you're going to get sound wise, mm-hmm. or if you're standing in front of your wedges on the floor, you know what to expect. And I can see that that provides some sort of comfort value and it might be difficult to change. So for the foreseeable, I think we'll just stick with wedges, but definitely Rob, Ian and Scott, find it more controlled and especially Rob you know you're prowling up and down the stage if you've got my wedges shooting at your face or Glenn's over the other side it might be a bit problematic but yeah. so you can see why Rob uses them but uh, for us guitar players we're, we're going to keep it old school now um, I'm sure on stage when you look out of the audience you see all kinds of interesting things I know from other bands they see all kind of strange things going on but I, I was curious if you noticed in the video at the end of You've Got Another Thing Coming, there's a young man right against the barrier who's actually crying. Do you get a lot of, of people that just, that emotional release of seeing, you know, a band that's vitalized uh, just kind of break down like that? Um, I've seen it before. Um, in the heat of the moment, I didn't notice that at all. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. going on. There's a lot of people sure. out there. Um, and watching it back, when you see that there's a definite... It's, re- it's a really important thing when you see people looking back at the footage and you see people emotionally connecting like that. It's, right. it's a touching thing, you know, that sometimes it, you get it when you're there, but when it's under a microscope like a DVD, you get it a lot more. And seeing the guy crying like that, that emotional connection to a band that he loves, you know, is incredible, really. It's, it's an incredible, yeah. it's the power of what music can do, you know, that connection, that familiarity he might have got him through a certain point in his life where he's just, emotionally overcome that's an incredible thing and you know in in any case but to be a part of that as well is just uh i think you realize the value that that band has in people's lives and it creates more of a responsibility and you know more of a duty to uphold that legacy in the future definitely yeah yeah i mean it's a real testament you know obviously to to the emotional impact um you guys uh you're are you working on new material now or is that the next plan is to go back into the writing process that is the plan, yeah. We're going to meet up next month, me, Rob and Glenn, and we're going to go and see what ideas we've got. You know, we, we tend to go away after the tours or, you know, the Epitaph tour, we did it during the tour. We went away and we put ideas down. And I'm always coming up with ideas, you know, like riffs or melodies, or I'm always playing, right. always putting stuff down. And then we get together in situations like this and pull the ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to meet up next month and see what we've got. I mean, hopefully... The ideas are great. I mean, we've got, as I said before, we've got a big legacy to uphold, and these guys have been doing it for 40 years. They're well aware of that. But, you know, we, we had a great uh, release with Redeemer. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the first top 10 entry on the Billboard 200 that the band has ever had in their career. So it's it's a great 
uh, springboard, if you want, um, sure. after 40 years to have that to live up to, to Becca, you know, it, it's a great driving motivation. Um, and, we're, you know, again, we're always coming up with good ideas and different directions we could go or, you know, all those sort of creative opinions that we might have. So spoke to Glenn the other day. We're looking forward to getting in the studio and seeing what we come up with. Might, it might be terrible. Uh, between me and you, I don't think it will be. I think we're. Uh, I, I don't expect um, it. Yeah, I, I don't know that I've heard too many things that I would clarify as or quantify as terrible from the priest. No, that's it. You've got a great quality no, exactly. control department. Great. Yeah, All I right, agree. Rich. I mean, anything anything less than a million percent is what the band's always represented. So uh, anything less than a million percent, we might have to raise a few questions. But I agree with you. I think it's going to be. I think the ideas are going to be great. So it's exciting to be a part of. All right, Richie. Well, it's been a pleasure. I want to let you go. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much, John. I'll speak to you soon. All right. All the best. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Again, a big thank you to Richie Faulkner, Glenn Tipton of Judas Priest for joining us. Again, you can find the entire interview transcribed at guitarworld.com if you're interested in reading it. Uh, And you can find the new album is available now. It's available as a single CD, which is kind of a scaled-down version of the entire show. Also, you can find that on Blu-ray and DVD with the entire show. That was the uh, show from Vakken. A fantastic set. A huge crowd, as, as I think anybody who's a fan of metal knows what Vakken crowds can be like. Uh, really uh, a cool crowd. And it was again, it was cool to see Judas Priest, as we talked about in the interview, not just do a greatest hits show. I, I think a lot of people got a chance to see Epitaph, but the, um, the last tour included quite a bit new material for bands and I think a lot of fans uh, kind of get on bands for doing too much new material and then a lot of hardcore fans get on bands for not doing enough new material so I think Judas Priest did a, a pretty good job of pulling three, four, five songs off of the album in some of their live sets so it's cool to, to hear something you know for uh, the hardcore fans something more than just the greatest hits because I think there's probably enough of that available now and certainly Apitaph if you want to see you know, a career-spanning set from the band. So a Battle Cry is, is certainly worth the money. It's very inexpensive uh, and great. And we don't know how many times we'll get to see the band. You know, if there's been rumors of them not touring anymore in the future or not doing exhaustive world tours. So it's great to get a chance to capture that, uh, you know, one more time, if, if, you know, if and when they do decide to hang it up. So you can find more information about us at ironcityrocks.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube are all forward slash Iron City Rocks. And you can contact us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let us know what you like about the show, what you hate about the show. We love hearing uh, from listeners. So until next time, thank you for joining us.